let's pray, and then let's get into the message. Father, we thank you for your loving grace. Lord, what an honor it is. What a blessing it is. What a privilege it is that we get to call you Father and that we get to come together as one, as brothers and sisters and you and worship you and dive into your word. Father, we're grateful that you've given us your word, that you've not just left us with no idea on how to succeed in this life and no idea how to live out our purpose, but Lord, you've given, us, given it to us in your text, Father, and I pray that we would heed that. I pray that we would take your word to heart, and Lord, as we um, continue in the series this week on prayer, praise, and worship, Father, I pray that our hearts would be softened to the challenge to worship you in the way that you want to be worshiped, Father, that we would praise you in the way that you want to be praised, and that our prayer life would be a prayer life that honors you. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus, amen. Super excited to be in front of you guys again. I know I say this every time, but it's always a thrill to be in front of brothers and sisters in the Lord, my church family, to be invited to speak. I get pretty hyped. So if you see me a little bouncy and everything up here, it's because I'm excited, man. And I'm excited about this series that Noah's had us, has us in. So Noah started us last week in prayer, praise, and worship. And he challenged us on how we go about worshiping the Lord, right? Um, he, he challenged us as a multi-ethnic, intending to be multi-ethnic community of believers that... Um, that our worship style and the way we go about worship not only, or, well, sorry, I shouldn't say not only, should first be the way that God is calling us to it, and two, if we're not doing that, it will impact our ability to be a multi-ethnic community. There will be different groups that won't participate with us if we're not doing it the way that God wants us to. Um, and so... I have some experience in multi-ethnic relationships and multi-ethnic situations. I don't know if you guys know this, but my wife is white. Christy, she's back there with the kids. Anybody know my wife was white? Nobody? Okay. Anyone? <laughs> nobody, nobody knew. <laughs> she has a great tan. Um, but my wife is white, and clearly I'm not. And uh, when we started dating back uh, when we were at Cornerstone University, you know, being in a, a black and white relationship isn't just as easy as, hey, we like each other, let's, let's get along. Well, I, no relationship is that easy, but specifically ours. There were some cultural nuances on things that started to stir up that uh, I found was more common with her family than, was my fam than with my family. And part of this I had as well because I was roommates with Joel Strickland, who walked out as soon as he heard I was talking about multi-ethnic <laughs> and stuff that I might uh, list him in the sermon. Um, so, for example, Christy's family is very tight on being on time to events. Like, if they say something starting at 9.30, that thing's starting at, like, 9.29 and 59 seconds. It will start right by 9.30. My family 
we say something starting at 930, probably starting at around 11. Like we have this kind of built in our brain. And we know who's going to show up when, right? And we invite people accordingly. So if we know we want you there by 11, we're going to tell you 930. Because if we tell you 11, you're going to show up at 2 o'clock, right? This is just a cultural norm in my family. In my family, though, we have a good time, we laugh, we crack jokes, we, you know, go all in on each other. Not so much in my wife's family, right? They start cracking jokes. It's taken very personal. It's like, no, that was a joke. And like, but they're like, no, you said exit. And so we start learning some differences. And, you know, there's, there's good things that we should bring from both. And there's some things in both we should probably push back and push away. Uh, one of my dreams is to get our families together for a big meal one time. This is something I dream of. And because I've realized that there is incredible food on both sides. But then there's some awful food on both sides as well that we could let go of, right? So, like, on my side of the family, or sorry, I'll go on Christy's side of the family. I won't say mom beam specifically, but some of the aunts and relatives in that, they're not very in touch with, like, seasoning, like salt and different things in the cabinet. That's not their specialty. They're kind of just like, hey, we're going to have this rice, and it's just going to be rice. And I'm like, oh, you probably could have thrown some butter in there. You probably could have done some salt. Like, there's some things you could have added to it. But then Christy comes to my side of the family, and we got some real exotic stuff that nobody should ever eat at all like chitlins, and I'm trying to explain to her what chitlins are, and it's like, well, babe, you know, it's like the intestines. She's like, wait, what, the intestines? Like, you take the intestines, but you got to clean them out first, and you want to clean them outside of the house because the smell will kill the whole house, and it's like, yo, the house is smelling like dung right now, and you guys are talking about eating this stuff, and it's like, yeah, we could probably part ways on that, but something that Christie's family does really well, and I'm telling you, for all of the black individuals in there, if y'all have not had this, we're going to have a gathering one time as a church. They make this stuff called cheesy potatoes. Lord have mercy. First time I had it, first time I had it, and it, like when they invited me and said, hey, do you want cheesy potatoes? I'm like, cheesy potatoes? That sounds like some hamburger helper, all grat. Like, I don't really want cheesy potatoes. I'm good on that. They poured out this baked layer of goodness, and I tore them cheesy potatoes up. And then I called all my family. It's like, why we never made cheesy potatoes? Where do y'all know about cheesy potatoes? They never heard of it. I'm like, oh, Christy, y'all got to bring this over. But then you have this expectation that the rest of the food's going to be like that, and then they go and make this mac and cheese. And I've never had worse mac and cheese in my life. I'm like, what is this creamy, like, soupy, what is this? Mac and cheese, where I'm from, is baked. And so I put Christie's family on to the baked mac and cheese that comes in an aluminum tray and all of that. Oh, blown away by it. And so in both cultures, there's things that are, that are great, like things that, that we should hold on to, things that we might lead by example in. And then there's other areas where you say, hey, man, I could probably learn a little bit more from this group over here. And on, on the other side, man, there's things that are great that we're doing really well, we gotta hold on to this. But then there's some other things where we could probably learn a little bit more from the group over here. And you know, at Mosaic, 
Noah is really trying to encourage us to take the best of both, the best of how we honor God in both cultures and bring it together as a multi-ethnic community, bringing the best of all. And I'm super excited about it. One of the things that I'll say in West Michigan that I think is, is something I was just blown away by on how good this culture is in this space as, as, it, pertains to the, as it pertains to the faith is knowledge, understanding, and study of the Word of God. I'd never heard of apologetics until I went to Cornerstone. Never heard of hermeneutics. Never heard of eschatology, Christology, and all these different studies of the text. Like we had different, in the churches I grew up in that were predominantly black, we had, you know, different Bible verses that we hung on to, but you weren't actually going to do like a full study on Obadiah, like a full study on Habakkuk, a full study on, and I'm not saying, again, all of this stuff isn't universal. universal. This is just, you know, for lack of better words, majority culture, dominant culture, as, as Noah was saying. But we didn't really dive into those things in that way. And so when I came to West Michigan, man, I felt like I was super challenged and sharpened in diving in tight to the Word of God, knowing what I believe and why. You know, there were, when, I, when we were at Cornerstone, there was big debates on pre-trib and post-trib. We didn't talk about trib at all in Detroit. Like, that wasn't a part of our conversations. And I'm like, man... You know, that's something great that we should hold on to here. But then there were some other things, like when we went into these worship sets. So, like, when I first started at Cornerstone, we had a, uh, what was called a chapel. And at Cornerstone, they require you to go to chapels. I was like, okay, morning, it's like 8 a.m., okay, I got to be on time for this because, you know, everybody else going to be on time for it. I got to be on time for this now. I, we go to this chapel, and I grew up in a church where, you know, we used to have songs like, when I think about Jesus what he's done for me. When I think about Jesus, how he set me free, I can dance, 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 all that. Now we're going. We're in it, man. We're ready. We got the drum. We, like, we're, we are amped and excited about, you would not be able to tell the difference between if we were watching Michigan win a national championship or if we were worshiping God. Like the animation level, we're both equal on that. We were super excited. I went to Cornerstone, and they pulled out these bongos, and they go out there, and they're like, all right, God, we're going to worship Jesus today, and we're going to, you know, everybody just, you know, whatever you feel, if you want to raise your hand, da-da-da-da, and they're whispering, and I'm like, guys, is this a secret? Like, is that, are we, are we being persecuted right now? Like, is there a noise violation or something? What is going on where we're being so silent about Jesus? I don't understand it. And the same folks that I would see, you know, like whispering, uh, like they were cheating on a, on a test in class or something, would be the same folks that watched the Michigan game and they were amped. Or the same folks that Kid Rock comes on and they're, or the same folks that, you know, just pull out an American flag and wave it and, right? And then it came to Jesus and we we're like, it's like, man. What are, what, are we, what are we sharing? Like, what, what vibe are we getting off about, you know, our zeal for Jesus? One could conclude that we're more excited about, about, you know, Michigan than we are about Jesus. But I know that's not true in heart. But it's true from a cultural standpoint. And so 
Eventually, Cornerstone started mixing some things up because they started getting a little bit more diverse. And they had this young lady, her name was Jen Good at the time. Now it's Jen Filippiak, who's in the back of the room. Many of you guys don't know this, but Jen Good used to throw down on a microphone. And uh, they had this thing called Evensong. And they pulled out the drums. They put these chapels were swamped with people because people were starving to be able to worship the Lord. They went from having to fine us for not showing up to chapel to everybody like there was, you know, no seating room available because we actually created an environment that allowed us to express and celebrate the Lord the way that our hearts actually desired and the way that I think the Lord was actually calling us to do it. And so I'm excited about us building that foundation here at Mosaic and getting to a point where we're doing that from the beginning, from a foundation, while also not losing what we're already doing very well, and that's having rigor in the word, understanding of truth, transformation through the gospel, understanding of who Jesus is, right? We can't lose any of that, but we can add a few ingredients to our recipe to take our church to the next level. So before we go any further, if you're new to Mosaic, part of the thing, one of the things that we do here is uh, gather up and have group questions that we get to uh, discuss, and then we'll jump back into the message. So our questions for today are, what sort of things do you do to get in the mood to exercise? And then question two, what sort of things keep you from being in the mood to exercise? As it goes to exercise, you know, a lot of times we have to get in the mood to exercise, right? I know some of us, we got to cut on our music. Some of us have to take pre-workout. Some of us need an accountability partner. Some of us need the right setting. Some of us need, you know, the right clothes and equipment. But many of us, I would say the majority of us, need to be in the right mood, right situation, right whatever, to exercise. Even though we know it's important. Even though we know it's something we should be doing every day, if the mood isn't there, it likely doesn't happen. And there are plenty of things that can take us out of that mood, right? We've been working too long. Or, man, you know, I'm really not feeling that well. Oh, I wanna, I'm supposed to be running, but it's kind of cold outside, looks dreary outside. Hey, the kid's been acting crazy. I'm stressed. There's things that take us out of that mode. But we know that the people that get the benefit and the results of exercise are the ones that diligently do it every day. I was listening, kind of eavesdropping a little bit to this group over here, as a young lady that's running, or preparing to run a marathon, it sounds like, and she is going to run eight miles today. Not in the mood to run eight miles today, but is going to run eight miles today because she's committed to doing that. Guys, in the same way, God is calling us to have committed hearts to worship. It's awesome to have LaRonda in here and to have the band and to have the music and to have all of that. But even without it, it is a spiritual discipline for us to spend time worshiping God. Whether you have drums, whether you not, whether you have music, whether you don't, we are called to worship God in every season and every circumstance. I think sometimes with worship, it's easier to worship God when things are going great in our life. Like when people get a new job, you hear hallelujah, right? That's easy, right? When you hear when, when a child is born, you know, oh, thank you, God. We love you so much when your child is healthy. 
praise the Lord, hallelujah, when you get the house, when you, you know, get proposed to or she says yes, and all of these great things, that's when we find ourselves, hopefully, worshiping God. But what about when things get hard? What about when things don't seem in place? What about when it seems like you're going through a fire right now? What about when the bank account is super low and you don't know how you're going to pay your next bill? What about when you're sick or a loved one's sick or you lose a loved one or your child is sick or any of these things that are undesirable to us? Satan uses that to pull us away from worshiping God. But I'm here to tell you that God is just as worthy of worship in that season as he is the other. And that having hearts of worship is not only for the glorification of God, it's also for the benefit of us. And for this reason, God says to rejoice always. My clicker isn't, there we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is Paul uh, talking to the Philippians. And he's concluding this letter um, that he has, and, and he's given a, an emphasis point here where he's saying it doesn't matter the circumstance, it doesn't matter the situation. You know, Paul has, has said that I've learned to abound and I've learned to abase. It, whether I'm in, in, in wealth or in poverty, whether I'm in health or, or anything else, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. My clicker is. In, in the Hebrew culture, um, when you ask someone how they're doing, which would be mashalom ka, they say the, the, the desired response is aniba seder. And everybody say aniba seder. We're going to try that one more time. Aniba seder. Aniba seder. There we go. Um, we, won't, we won't do mashalom ka. But uh, aniba seder means I am ani, I am beseder in order. Have any of you guys ever heard of like a Passover seder? Oftentimes we've heard of that. If you've ever been a part of a Passover seder, there is a certain way that things are supposed to go in that seder. You know, there's a certain time when you break the bread. There's a certain seat that's left open for Elijah. There's certain bitter herbs that you take at one point. There's honey that you're supposed to eat at a certain point. There's certain things that you're supposed to read in liturgy. And so there's a whole order to how things are supposed to go. And so when they're saying aniba seder, they're saying I am in order. I am in the right place in my life. I have the right perspective in my life. I, you know, know who I am in the Lord. I know who the Lord is. I have right relationships with my brothers and sisters and those around me. The goal is to be, is to be able to respond aniba setter, meaning that I am in order. And worship is one of the things that helps to put us in order. When we worship God, you know, you know different than praise, well, yeah, leave it there. When we worship God different than praise, the idea is that when you, and especially if you're reading the Old Testament text, is that you're bowing down. You're prostrating yourself before. Like you're putting yourself in a submissive, subservient position 
to God. That's what worship is supposed to be. I know sometimes it's blended with the praise and glorification and all of that, but praise is one thing. Worship is about I am bowing down, fully submissive to the will and desire of the Lord. And sometimes in life, even when things are going really well, we get away from that. Because, man, I, listen, you know, I'm, I, I can trust in God, but I can also trust in my 401K. I can also trust in I got a great job. I can also trust in I'm kind of healthy. I've been working out. I'm feeling good. People start trusting in things that are removed from God because things are going so well for them. Or you go too far to the other side where things are going so awful, you forget who God is. You forget that he loves you. You forget that he has a plans for you. You forget these things. But worship is something that keeps us aligned. I had uh, two really good chiropractors in my life. One is Dr. Seif in Caledonia. If anybody ever wants to go to Dr. Seif in Caledonia, he is awesome. And um, Dr. Dave in Barrington, Illinois, if anybody ever watches this, in Barrington, Illinois. One of the things they both taught me about is what's called subluxation. And so in your on your spine you, or your vertebral column, you have uh, intertwined in there discs, you know, that give you cushion and then nerves that help to communicate out into the rest of the body. And so if you look on the left, this is what a normal um, vertebral column should look like. Everything is smooth, everything is even, everything is in place. But if you look on the right, you see that one of those vertebrae are subluxed, and it's pinching on the disc and pinching on the nerve. And if you've ever had a herniated disc or ever had a pinched nerve, you know that thing will debilitate you. It will lay you out where you're at. You cannot do the things that you want to do if your disc looks like that. And I can tell you I've had that from experience. And if you do wake up and try to do anything, you'll be walking sideways like this. Worship, the, the, the world that we live in aims to spiritually sublux us every day. Every day we have things that are happening in our lives that are aspiring to sublux you, whether it be the relationship with your spouse, relationship with your kids, what's going on at work, health, all of those things we're dealing with spiritual subluxation. But when we find time in worship, when we get down on our knees and remember that this world is not ours, that it is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that he loves us. When we get down and worship and remember that he gave his son to die for us and that if he cares for the sparrows, how much more that he cares for you. If we spend time in worship and we're reminded that regardless what happens in this life, we have promise of a hope and a future with him, it aligns us. It aligns us. And then we're spiritually able to do the things that he's calling us to. It's actually, there's actually a passage, I think that I, uh, I think that I didn't add, add it into there, but it's, it's in Acts, Acts 26, and then we'll get, we'll get to this funny photo. It's in, it's, in, it's in the book of Acts, and it's a story about Paul and Silas. Some of you guys have probably heard about this. Paul and Silas are um, traveling, and there's a woman who approaches them who has like this spirit of divination in that, 
and she's calling out all these are men of God and saying all this different stuff and following them. And um, Paul ends up casting this spirit out of her. Well, one of the things that this woman was able to do was give some sort of, again, divinations that was making her owners money, making these guys a lot of money. Well, when he cast that spirit out of her, she was unable to do it anymore. And now these folks are really upset with Paul and Silas. And so Paul and Silas are then um, arrested, flogged. So remember, these are guys that are out here proclaiming the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus, and God's supposed to have their back, and they find themselves in a situation where they're arrested, stripped down of their clothing, set up on posts, beaten with rods, 40 lashes, taken, thrown into a jail cell, which they, sit, they uh, call it later, if you, if you read in the text, their inner cells, which if you know anything about Roman prisons at the time, usually were very cold, sometimes wet, and reeked of fecal matter because they didn't have many toilets in, that, in this spot, right? It was, a, it was a place of suffering, and they were in shackles while they were in there. And then they, the scripture shows that at midnight, Paul and Silas began praying and singing praises and worshiping God. They had every reason to be completely subluxed, to be completely, you know, disconnected, to be in a, in a heart of, Lord, why are you doing this? Maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I want to pursue other career avenues. Obviously, this isn't leading to my health, wealth, and happiness, right? Which I know many of us would be in that, in that situation if we were today arrested and flogged for sharing the good news of Jesus. But they realigned. They locked into the Lord. They worshiped. They praised. They prayed. And, the, and the, they, they were told that the other prisoners could hear them. And then an earthquake happened that um, shook the gates of the prison. And the prison guard, and so now they're loosed and they're free. The prison guard ran in and saw what happened and pulled out a sword and was going to kill himself for dereliction of duty, right? He was like, if these guys go free, they're going to kill me, so I'm going to take my life. Paul stops him. Here's the person that threw him in prison, that had him living in this situation. And instead of being vengeful, instead of being, yeah, you should go ahead and kill yourself, Paul had a heart of compassion for him. That does not happen if you don't spend time in worship. That does not happen if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That does not happen if you're not aligned with the Lord. Not only does he save the guy's life, the guy and others asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Spending time in worship, being aligned with the Lord, spending time in prayer and in praise, took a guy who had just gotten beaten halfway to death and now you're still winning souls for Jesus. And guys, for us to succeed in our culture, in the United States of America, in Grand Rapids, we have to spend time in prayer as well. We have to spend time in worship daily as well. We have to spend time in praise and celebration of the Lord as well. I'd be remiss to, um, to talk all this stuff about worship without going into this next Next little bit here that I think is important. Um, this is a photo of me on 
my honeymoon with Christy. As many of you guys know, I cannot swim. And uh, we took this big trolley, and we were going over to some area, wherever it was. All I know is there's a lot of water, and I wasn't trusting this boat that we were on. And so I asked them, I was like, yo, I've watched the Titanic, and I know like when things go down, everybody's scrambling, trying to find a, you know, find a raft, find a life just like, I was like, and y'all probably ain't gonna give me one first at that time, but I need it more than anybody, so I want a life jacket. And the people thought I was joking, I was not. So I got a life jacket and hung out in what I thought was a safe area with a good view. Christy comes, takes a photo of me, couldn't have been more embarrassed. And, uh, but that life jacket was super important for me. Um, you know, if anything were to happen, I needed that life jacket. But tell me this, guys, if I was going skydiving and I jumped out of the airplane over a desert and I had that life jacket, would it be of any value to me? It would be of none. It, it would be worthless to me. You would need a parachute. Let's say I had a parachute and I was on this boat, didn't have a life jacket, Let's say I had that parachute and I was in a car, you're in a car accident going head on against a semi. Does that parachute help you? It's worthless. In the same way, guys, certainly encouraging us in worship, certainly encouraging us to dive deep into worship and to be diligent in worship for the Lord. But scripture calls out multiple times that worship without a heart of obedience, worship without a heart of commitment and love, worship absent of actually following God is just noise, and it's worthless to the Lord. We read in the book of Amos, the Lord says, I hate and despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look at them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all, all I have, clear out my bank account, take my house, take everything I have, take my job, take my career, you can have it all. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I give myself over as like a sacrifice, but I have not love. If you do all these things, but you actually don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, if we're not loving people, if we don't care about people, if we're not going to love our community, if we're not going to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord, in our actions, in our deeds, then we're not doing anything and we gain nothing. So worship is not absent from the actual work of the gospel. Worship is not to be absent from our diligence and commitment in sharing the gospel. Worship is not to be absent from justice. I know that's a very 
sensitive topic today and in our churches. But the church, you know, oftentimes we end up criticizing a lot of these different groups that are, you know, approaching justice or whatever from their own perspective. Those groups shouldn't even exist because the church should be the advocates for justice. The church should be the people that are leading the cause in all of these spaces, whether it be for black people, white people, men, women, indigenous, Latin, pick whatever group you want. If they're an image bearer of God, meaning they're made in the image of God, we should be the first ones on the battlefield to defend and fight for them. And if we're not going to do that, then our worship is just noise. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Bowing down before me, hands up in praise. Why you do that and not do what I tell you? So there's no point, guys. Yes, we got to be diligent in worship. Yes, we need to be multi-ethnic in worship. Yes, we need to be committed to the cause of worship. Yes, we need to, you know, I believe be expressive in our worship. And we will do that. But we also, and first and foremost, need to be obedient to the cause of Christ. And I think if we do that, we're taking the best of, right, of both, bringing them together, and we'll have a church that changes um, Grand Rapids. So what is the best way to worship the Lord? The best way to worship the Lord is love. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your goodness. Father, we're grateful for the art of worship, the heart of worship, the spirit of worship. Father, we're grateful for it, one, because you deserve it, and it's an honor for you to think enough of us to praise you, to celebrate you, to lift you up, to magnify you, to bow down before you, Lord. But we're also grateful for the benefit that it is for us that it aligns us properly with you, Father. And I pray that as we dive into worship this week, that we would be reminded and realigned to your purposes, reminded and realigned to your causes, Father, that as we spend time in worship, that the fruit of that would be that we would seek first your kingdom and not our own. Pray that the fruit of that would be that we would love you with all of our heart and love our neighbors as ourselves. I pray that the fruit of worship for us would be that we would be supreme advocates for justice, that we would fight the cause for anyone um, where, where justice isn't prevailing, Father. And I pray that it would also, as we spend time in worship, that it would grow us together as brothers and sisters in you, that we would be more unified, that we would be one, and that we would grow your kingdom here in Grand Rapids. Father, and we thank you for all of this. In the name of Jesus, amen.